How much stuff do you think has been created around employer brand? Talking about it, writing about it, speaking about it, video recordings, uh, webinars, Zoom meetings, tweets, LinkedIn posts, the gamut, the whole kit and caboodle, magazine articles, whatever. How much has been written about employer branding in the last, I don't know, call it three, four, five years, whatever. A lot, right? Like a lot, a lot. Like I did a whole four-year run on podcasts just based on the concept alone by myself, not to mention two books and a bunch of other stuff. Oh, yeah, that newsletter I ran for, I run for two years. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff out there about employer branding. Here's the thing. There's a question that hasn't been asked. Or at least if it has been, I suspect it's in hushed tones. It's in after that second beer or second bourbon where you start to realize, yeah, where are we taking this? What ultimately, when you think about all the stuff we talk about employer brand, we talk about the tactics and the channels and the tools and the systems and the the tricks and the hacks and the things and the things, what, what, what are we really asking here? What is this all in service of? We have to ask ourselves one day, what exactly does employer brand want? What exactly are we doing this for? Yeah, it's a job. It's a lovely paycheck. Um, Some days it's a fantastic job. Some days it's not, but some days it is. And, you know, there are worse ways to make a living, I think, for most people or for some people anyway. Um, But what does employer brand itself want? What is the end goal of all this stuff that we're doing? And that's what we're going to talk about when we get back. Hey, everybody. James Ellis here from the Talent Cast. We are entering, oh, let's just call this season two of the Talent Cast. This is a very different thing. I mean, we did four years of it, and then I took a break, more than a year break. And this is a bit like doing wind sprints, uh, where I'm like, oh, yeah, right. I used to do this a lot. Um, But here we are. Welcome to the Talent Cast. So we're doing season two. It is different in this regard. With the exception of this one episode, which is kind of a teaser, it's kind of a warm-up, it's kind of a, um, I don't know, call it a preseason game, if you will. Like I said, it's been more than a year since I've done this. I have to remember what the buttons do. The rest of the season is going to take place over the next six months, roughly. And there's a little give or take there, whatever. I'm going to do an audio version of the talent cast. Now, I'm sorry, not of the talent cast, but if talent chooses you, here is my problem. I have a lot of things with the word talent in them, so I'm going to confuse them. Here we are. So I'm going to do an audiobook version of Talent Chooses You, which is a book, by the way, I wrote now more than three years ago. Right. Yeah, it's it yeah, it's been out there a while. You've had access to it for a year and a half. I wrote it three years ago, or at least the bulk of it. And maybe I'm not smarter since then, but I've certainly seen a lot since then, and I may have changed my point of view on something. So think about this upcoming season of the Talent Cast as Talent Chooses You 2.0, the audiobook, which probably beats, you know, Talent Chooses You 2.0, the musical, which would be a horrible thing. Do not buy tickets for that. I don't, yeah, just don't, just don't. Don't do it. There are better uses of your time. So for those of you who have been clamoring, (laughs) I can't believe it either. Yes, some of you have been asking and clamoring for an audiobook. It's coming. Uh, Just so you know, this uh, upcoming season of, you know, the talent cast is sponsored by recruitmentmarketing.com. And we're going to get more deep into the how, you know, I'm going to officially do the the kind of intros and stuff you know, for the next episode as we kick it off. Because this to me is episode zero of season two. Uh, it's the gift I'm giving you just to kind of practice. But 
It is sponsored by RecruitmentMarketing.com. I'm so thrilled that they could sponsor it to help, you know, give me an excuse to do the audio version of this thing and bring it to you in free podcast form, right? So over the next uh, roughly six months, I'll be releasing a piece of that audiobook every week. I probably think, I think we're doing it on Wednesdays now um, just because, and that's what we're going to do. So if you have any questions, if you have any thoughts, if you have any concerns, hi, I'm James Ellis. This is all my fault. Thank you so much for listening. If you've listened to previous episodes of the talent cast, thank you. If you subscribe to the newsletter, the employer brand headlines, thank you again. If you don't do those things, just go to employerbrand.news. There's links to stuff. You can figure it out. You're, you're super bright. You're an employer brand type nerd, uh, with me. So, Hey, welcome. So with that, Oh, I can't believe I'm doing it either. It's been a long gap. Here we go. So yeah, what does employer brand want? What is all of this stuff in service for? Why do we bother? What are we doing? What are we changing? And I want to start off with a, well, let's call it a caveat. And that is this. It's time to stop being subtle. It's I'm not saying don't be nice. Nice is great. Nice is wonderful. But nice as a way to avoid saying the things that we mean and care about, nah, we're not doing that anymore. We're not going to be gentle about it. We're going to be direct. We're going to be straightforward. We're going to talk about some real, we're going to talk about some real shit. That's right. The first swear of the podcast season, here we are. So let's get real. And we have to start this conversation. This is a big conversation. So we have to start with a very standard definition of what is an employer brand. Uh, why? Because we still quibble over what that is. And frankly, I read these articles in Fast Company and Harvard Business Review and all these places. And I'm like, it's like they haven't figured out what the definition is. So let's have a quick shared definition, shall we? What is an employer brand? The common definition of employer brand is it's what an individual thinks it's like to work at your company. Where does that perception idea that expectation come from from touch points and experiences many of which happen well before the recruiter reached out many of which happened well before they thought about having getting a new job right these are things that have happened to them that have influenced their perception of you as a company uh, my favorite example of this is I would never want to work at a cable company. Why? Because I've had to talk to people who work at cable companies on the phone to get service changed. I would add certain fintech outfits to that, but let's not be jerks about it, right? Um, it's so hard to get certain things done. And these are people who you can tell, even though they're not doing your job, even though they're not going to be your boss, you can tell the culture leeches out of them about what they're allowed to say and what they're allowed to do and what level of concern and commitment they have to you. It says something about the company. And as I listen to those things and hear those people talk and have to stick the hold music in my ear. And why always the most shrill hold music? Is it just piccolos and violins? Do you not get what I'm doing? I'm putting a speaker to my ear for goodness sake. Stop it. Just nice, soft, low tones for your hold music, please. Can we just agree to that? Okay, back to the tangent. Because the culture leeches out of each and every interaction I have with that company, it influences my perception of those companies. That's just what I see. Now, I see that as bad. I don't, I don't want to work at those, but some people hear that and go, yeah, that sounds like a great place to work and good for them. Great for them, in fact. But those perceptions of what must, be, what must it be like to work there is based on those experiences. Do recruiters count? 
Oh, hell yeah, they do. They impact all sorts of stuff, the outreach, the process, the candidate experience, the offer process, all that stuff. But recruiters are not the only people impacting that process. That process comes from hiring managers and the news and products and customer service and, 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 and. It's all in service. It all drives that perception of what that company must be. Now, if we can all kind of collectively for a moment, maybe for a longer, longer than a moment, maybe forever, say that's the standard definition. We then have to say, what exactly does an employer brand person do, right? We just said the employer brand is something that is influenced by all sorts of, every, I mean, literally every part of the company. If the CEO does something stupid or something smart or something kind or something dickish, yeah, I said it, then that impacts the employer brand, right? When Travis is being a total schmuck about it, Uber, guess what? It impacts the employer brand. Why? Certain people will absolutely not want to work there and certain people go, yeah, that sounds like my kind of place. It impacts the employer brand. Scandals, news, product failures, product wins, stock price, up, down, doesn't matter. All of it impacts. And that's long before they ever get to your dang career site. That's long before they ever read your job posting. So what exactly is the employer brander's job? Well, there are three hats, three things an employer brander does, and they kind of stack on top of each other. Maybe hats is the wrong word. I steal that from Edward de Bono, but that's just how I think of it. The first thing an employer brander does is worry and fret and do the tactics, right? They got to write the tweets. They got to write the job postings. They got to write a video. They got to put something together. They got to figure out their Photoshop stuff. They got to manage an event. They got to do all the stuff stuff, right? They got to help do stuff. They have to execute the tactics. And that's how all of us kind of got started, I think. Whether we know it or not, whether we think about it, I think that's where we got started. Even if we did that outside the industry and brought it back into the industry, that's where we started. The next thing we learn is strategy. It's good to know that you can make a video or you can make a tweet, Knowing why you make the tweet, knowing when you make the tweet, knowing if you make the tweet, well, that's a whole different set of skills, right? That's strategy thinking. Should I do two tweets in a video? Should I just save it all up for the video? When does the video go out? Who, what should the video say, right? If I can say a million different things about my company, what are the things the video has to say? That's strategy. And then you add to that, the politics of it, because you know, as you all know, the employer brand team is always the best funded team in the company. I know. I thought that was funny, too. Um, we don't have any resources and we don't have any influence. We don't have any power. Right. We can't control the CEO from being a dick about stuff. We can't control the product team. We can't control the customer service. We can't control the recruiters. We have zero control. We have influence. We have an opportunity to shape and help and support. But that is a political process. How do we get others to help us achieve our goals? How do we align our goals? How do we help them, you know, whether it's sharing credit or, you know, partnering with their teams? How do we get other people to help us do our job? And that's how an employer brander does their job. That's how they achieve that goal, that shaping of the perception of what it's like to work for a company. Great. These are level setting conversations. And I'm sorry it's taking so long to get to this part, but this is big stuff and we got to nail it down. It's been a year, clearly. Oh, wow. I'm like five, seven minutes in and I'm always like, I'm already hyped. I'm already good. Oh man, I missed this. Hey everybody, welcome back. I'm having fun. I hope you are too. Anyway, he says in stream of conscious fashion, that is his hallmark. So yeah, okay, great. But that's all good stuff. But what exactly is it all for? What is it in service of, right? It's nice. It's cool. 
it, it's not, you know, it's, it's attracting more applicants, I guess. Is it? Should it? Why? When? How? And that's where we get into trouble, right? We're trying to shape this perception of what it's like to work here, but in service of what? We've had these conversations around one of our goals, and this is where it gets like a, a sticky wicket, right? Not to get full on Britishisms here, but I know some of you are, and welcome. Uh, cheerio. Anyway, <laughs> I know, right? He's insane. So what, instead of asking what is the definition of employer brand, what we should be asking is what is the purpose of employer brand? And that is something we don't talk about too often. So let's talk about that. The purpose of employer brand is to create desire for the company or role amongst the right people, right? That's the purpose. The purpose is to make that amazing go-getting nurse fall in love with our practice hospital, whatever, uh, university, whatever, I don't care. They want to fall in love with what we have to offer so that they can desire, they can want to work here. We don't want to have to cajole them and beg them and, and say, hey, I know you're applying at 17 other companies and hospitals and practices and whatnot, but ours is the best somehow, I guess. Um, we want to create desire. We want them to come to us. I'm not saying that's what's happening by any stretch. Those of you who read my newsletter or, I don't know, media in general have heard about the great resignation and how hard it is to hire people. And we should know that that's a standard practice. That's, how, that's effectively now the standard practice. What we want to do is create desire. That is our goal. That is our purpose. We're trying to create desire. Now, that desire doesn't just happen. And by the way, when I say desire, I mean desire. Like, like, like my kid desires a poppet toy. And by the way, that's the dumbest toy in the world, but here we are. It's just a piece of rubber that you click in and out and she just loves the stupid thing. She's wanted one for months. It's like $6 worth of rubber. And you're like, really? This, this is the thing you covet? And that's really a good word too. Beyond desire is covet to want to, you know, to lust after in whatever weird way that a, you know, a seven-year-old lusts after toys. Um, that's the kind of thing we want to create in our own jobs. We want people to covet these roles. Now, creating that level of desire doesn't happen by buying a lot of ads per se, or banging the drum real loud, or just simply saying, we're the best, we're the best, we're the best. We're a wonderful place to work. Look at these awards that say we are a wonderful place to work, right? Because we all know that's half a sentence. That's just, you know, that's, you know, you've forgotten the whole part that says, okay, it's a wonderful place to work for whom? Right. Oh, we did not answer that. Hmm. Strange that we skipped right over that. Interesting. Anyway, desire comes from clarity. It comes from being clear about what you offer. This is very different from just being all about positive. So many employer brands are all based on how wonderful they are. It's all rose-colored glasses. It's all broad paint strokes levels of how wonderful they are, how sweet they are, how kind they are, how great they are, but no specificity, no clarity. A lot of companies have values, and whether they put them on the wall and turn them into posters or not, you know, they have these things like, this is what we're all about. And they just use them to be positive. Now, taking a tiny tangent, but I have a sense of what I'm doing here. I'm a big fan of personality tests just because I'm that nerd, right? But I hate the Myers-Briggs test. Why? Because every time I take a Myers-Briggs test, it comes back and says, oh, you're an INTP. You're just like Picasso.
Picasso or Einstein or Yoda or, you know, they're telling me I'm like these wonderful, amazing people. You're like Gandhi. Oh, cool. Gandhi was an INTP too. Great. So I must be like Gandhi. What? <laughs> That's insane. They're always about the positive. You're one. Hey, you're an INTP. You're an ENTP. You're an INTJ, whatever you are. You're just like these wonderful people. They never say, yeah, also Hitler was an INTP, right? They, know, they never say, you know, here's the negative side. It's always positive. It's always rose-colored glasses and puppy dogs and daisies. That's why I dislike the Myers-Briggs, right? There are other personality tests which say, yeah, these are your strengths. But because they are your strengths, not just these are your weaknesses, these are literally how your strengths become your weaknesses. These are the blind spots that your strengths are creating. And the more you double down on those strengths, here's the way you're going to get crushed. Here's the way you're going to get screwed. Here's the way you're just going to, you know, just drive the car into the cliff, right? That is, that's more interesting. And values are usually the way companies rate them are more like the Myers-Briggs. We're wonderful. We care about our customers. We care about I don't know. We care just generally, right? They say these things that are all really, really nice, but because there's no clarity around them, because they're dedicated to just being positive, they don't mean anything. They just kind of are there like, oh, okay, great. I also care about caring, I guess. I mean, who can, who, who doesn't, who doesn't like caring, right? As a customer, as an employee, you want to care about something, but you'll notice most of them don't care, say what they care about or to what extent they will care about, or, and this is my favorite litmus test, they won't say what caring costs them. A value is only a value if it costs you something, right? When you say that you value free speech, and that's a nice thing to say, but if you don't talk about you're willing to accept the cost of other people saying things you don't like, then that's just a poster. That's just a Hallmark card. That's just a, you know, a fortune cookie BS thing you say that means nothing until you can define what the cost is, what you've sacrificed for this. That's not a thing. And that's really what clarity means. It's not just being positive. It's about saying, yeah, we're all about this thing. And by the way, this is the negative side. This is where it's harder. This is what caring about that thing, this is how caring about that thing makes our lives a little harder, but we're willing to bear the pain or cost or burden of that because we care about that. That is truly a value. Now, value is an interesting word, isn't it? We talk about values a lot. And you know whether it's these are our values and the posters we make of them or the things we list or the binders we stick those in, or this is our employer value proposition. We use the word value as an industry a lot. <laughs> I mean, like a lot, a lot. Um, perhaps too much, maybe. I don't know. But I want to, since we're talking about values in terms of, right, in this case, what we offer the, the candidate, we, what we offer staff. This is the value we add to them. I think it's very helpful to break those values into two major categories. And you'll see why in a second. The first is, the first bucket is objective values. That is, if you work here, you will get paid $47 an hour. If you work here, you will get health insurance and we will pay 80% of that. If you work here, you're going to get seven holidays. If you work here, these are the objective values. They are crystal clear. They are, in fact, objective, right? There's no quibbling over what $47 an hour means. You don't say, here, I'm going to offer you a job at 47 bucks an hour. The candidate says, I accept. And then they start to get paid at $44 an hour and say, oh, we have different, different, different definitions of what $47 means. 
No, that's not how that works. That's called criminal fraud and everybody's getting sued, baby. That's bad, right? Objective is objective and there's no equivocation. Everybody knows $47 means $47. Everybody knows that seven holidays means seven holidays. These are things that are literally written in the offer letter, right? And that offer letter, if you can believe it, is technically a contract of some sort. It's a legal document. I offer you this, you offer me that, we trade, boom, your time, my money, bang, there you go. Which is great. Now the trick is, while objective values are good and useful and necessary, no question, what makes you love a job is not the objective values, almost always. Usually what you love about a job are the subjective values. And the subject values is kind of a playground we like to pretend to play in, but we don't do a generally good job of it. Here are some subjective values. We care about our customers. We care about innovation. We offer you independence, autonomy, support, status, right? These are things. And you can't offer someone status. You can't say, oh, I'm going to give you two clicks of status. It doesn't work that way. When you say you offer it, these are broad subjective values. When you say status and when I say status, we very well may mean different things. When you say autonomous and I say autonomous, what exactly do we mean by that? These are very subjective values. Now, here's the problem. As I mentioned, people care more about the subjective values when they take a job. This is, these are the things they look back on and say, oh, I don't want to leave because they, have, they offer me so much blank right? Independence, autonomy, status, support, whatever it is, whatever it is your subjective values are. But those things are very, very hard to prove. And in fact, we usually just kind of claim them and say, oh yeah, we offer a lot of autonomy. And then we walk to the next thing. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. You just said that car slices and dices and then just walked away. If you're going to make a claim like that, you had better back it up, buddy. And we don't. We just kind of say it think we've proven something, think we've said something when we haven't. Saying a claim is not the same as communicating. It's simply stating bull and hoping someone else gets around to proving it, which is unfortunate. But that's not what that's about. But here it is. We just decided this is the important stuff. This is what people care about. And we've kind of just passingly passed it off. Why? Well, it's because we're confusing objective and subjective. We assume when we say 47 bucks an hour, everybody knows, yep, that's 47 bucks an hour. And we're taking the same model and saying, oh yeah, we say autonomous, that's what we mean except it's subjective and everybody means something different and no one believes that stuff. Not until they see it proved somehow. The objective values are literally written in an offer letter. The subject values must be revealed and proven over and over and over again to have the same level of credibility. But when you establish that level of credibility, you are going to win like crazy. That's the fun stuff. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We We out. So take half a step back for a second. I want to make it crystal clear that a brand isn't what we just say it is. It isn't just because we call it. It's a promise. When you buy a pair of shoes from Adidas or Nike or wherever or on, hey, Derek, (laughs) shout out to my friend, Derek. Um, There's a promise to be made. 
And Nike's promise is that effectively anybody can feel like an athlete. Any schmuck who slob like me can put on a pair of Nikes and feel like they're their own little athlete. You know, I'm just going to just do it, right? That's the thing I'm going to do. Adidas, on, they make other promises, right? On is more about for professional runners, I think, right? They're for people who take it seriously. (laughs) That is not me. I am not that audience. That is not the promise I need to hear. I need to hear that my shoes might actually get my butt off the couch now and then, right? That's the level of, okay, that's the promise I need. Your brand is a promise, but the brand, your brand is effectively a promise of what is it like to work here? It's not just the salary, it is all that subjective stuff. What's the day-to-day? What's the, the motivations? What's the culture? What are the values? What is it like to be here? And the problem is we don't explain that very well. But when we do start to explain it well, we do start to uncover that and start to prove some of that stuff. And sometimes that means saying the unpleasant stuff because that's the, you know, that's that's interesting. And honestly, that unpleasantness proves what we're saying, right? If I tell you, hey, go come buy this amazing car. It's inexpensive. It's incredibly reliable. It's super fast. It's gorgeous as hell. It's the opposite sex, or well, maybe the same sex. What do I care? He's going to think you're very sexy because you drive this car, right? It's it, it slices, it dices, it does everything, but you know, run your taxes for you. The more I pile on these positive subjective claims, the more you go, yeah, I don't believe this. Until you hear someone say, yeah, but you know what? It was it once ran someone over. Or, yeah, it's not as reliable. Or it's a, it, it doesn't get the best gas mileage. Until you hear the negative, you know you are being sold something. It's nothing but rose-colored glasses. Hearing the negative proves all the other stuff. If I tell you this car is great, it's sexy, it's wonderful, it's 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 fast, it's attractive, it's you're gonna love it, you're gonna have it forever, but the gas mileage is kind of high or kind of low, and you know it makes it a little more expensive to run. But other than that, it's a great car. Suddenly, hearing the negative makes all the other positive things far more believable. But if you look at the average job posting, it's nothing but we're wonderful, we're wonderful, we're wonderful. It's just positive claim after positive claim, which is why no one believes that stuff. But what happens is, is once you start to be honest, once you start to just put, or heck, if you even just head nod to some of the negative stuff, interesting things start to happen. So first off, the obvious one is that suddenly your application rate goes down in a good way. All those people are just hitting the button that says apply just to hit it because they hope maybe one day someone will call them. They stop applying because they saw something negative. Right? They're like, oh, oh, it, it's, it's, it's long hours. Okay, got it. No thanks. And they walk away. So you have fewer applications, but the people who, these are people who you never would have hired in the first place. Frankly, they're mostly people you never would have talked to. This is the, the chaff in the mill, not the wheat, so to speak, right? These are not the people you are looking to hire. And the people who you do want to hire go, yeah, I would assume if you're making doing all this stuff, this does come with long hours or this does come with some politics or this does come with whatever this negative things are. They kind of say, oh, this is more credible now. This isn't just spin and claims. This is more believable because if I was like, right, if, if, if Elon Musk was to say, hey, come join SpaceX because it's the easiest job you'll ever have. All of us would be like, wait, 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 wait. You're saying it's easy to get to Mars? Oh, no, this is a spin job. Got it. Next. And we're done. But no one says, gosh, 
SpaceX is tough because the hours are long. No, the purpose of going joining SpaceX is to get to Mars, and there's no easy way to get to Mars. So when you say, yeah, this is a great job, but the hours are long, you're like, yeah, but you're trying to get to Mars. That makes sense. Suddenly, all the other stuff becomes more believable. But you're attracting the people who don't mind the long hours in service of this mission, which is what you were looking for in the first place. So that honesty attracts and repels. But beyond that, what to me is most fascinating about that is that honesty begets more honesty. But not from you. It begets more honesty from the candidate. Hear me out. The more you say, hey, this is a great job. The hours are long. Um, and there is some politics you have to negotiate. And the only way to be successful is to start by learning the, the kind of the, 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 the minefield and the layouts. And this is how it works. But once you kind of manage that, you'll have an opportunity to do bop, 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 bop. That's a far more honest kind of job posting than I'm used to seeing. But when you say that, now the candidate has to be honest because now they have to say, having, having exposed this, hey, this is a fairly political organization, not good, not bad, simply a hurdle to be aware of, the candidate has to say, yeah, I'm very comfortable with politics. And, and, and suddenly they're more honest with you. It's not about, I mean, let's be fair, modern hiring is just you lying about how great the job is, the candidate lying about how great they are, and these two pieces of paper, the resume and the job posting, kind of pretending to be nice, but really what they're trying to do is poke holes in the other piece of paper to say, how are you wrong? How are you lying? How is this bullshit, right? They're just doing this dance to try and figure out where the gaps are, and they can't. And then at the end of it, they all hug and someone gets a job, which is insane. But that's a separate conversation. You're being honest in your job posting, in your career site about what you offer, about what you care about, what, what it costs to do those things, drives other candidates to say, okay, I'm comfortable with those things, and let me tell you why. And suddenly they're far more forthcoming about themselves because you've been honest, it forces them to be honest. Isn't that kind of crazy? It's almost magical. It's wonderful, actually, because what it's doing, it's driving. And yes, I am getting to a very important point here. Please bear with me. It's driving to a simple idea. And that's an employer brand is working very hard when it works at all to create a perfect match between the company, the role, and the person. It's trying to create a perfect match. It doesn't need 100 applicants. It doesn't need more than four applicants. Heck, it technically doesn't need two. It needs the perfect person who can do the job, who likes what the company likes, who can fulfill the role, and is aligned with the values and all this other stuff. Now, that's kind of prima facie obvious. Of course, that's what we all want. We only want the one candidate. We hate having to ask recruiters to filter through hundreds and hundreds of resumes, but then we do things that say, please, I don't care if you can spell your name, please submit a resume. Our processes are not geared towards creating that perfect match, and they should be, because that's what we're trying to do. And when you look at your employer branding, that's what it's trying to achieve. Every open role has a perfect, every pot has a lid, right? That's what you're trying to achieve. You don't need piles and piles and piles of lids. You just need the one lid that works for you. And when you see employer branding and, and frankly, all of recruiting in that way, some very important changes happening. The first one is that it completely negates the idea that you need to collect resumes, that you're trolling you know, the seabed for resumes with a big old net. You're trying to collect 100 applications per, per rec. 
you got to understand that most of that is wasted time and energy, right? You're not going to hire 100 people. You're not going to hire 50 people. Heck, you're not going to hire three people. You're hiring one person. So every single application of someone you'd never talk to or someone you'd talk to and then quickly realize is not a good fit is wasted time and energy, right? We can agree on that. So suddenly, if you understand what employer branding is doing, you realize what it's trying to do is keep you away from the, the pure trolling and collection uh, of resumes. Because ultimately, recruiting now becomes a game of finding one, okay, maybe two amazing people, not a game of trying to collect 100 resumes. Now, you're saying, yeah, we know that. No, you don't actually, because I've looked at your process and it's all around how do we gather as many resumes as possible. You're posting your jobs on as many job boards as possible. You're making it incredibly easy to apply. You are asking a million people to apply when you're not going to hire a million people. Your processes tell me that you're here to farm resumes. You're here to farm applications. You're not here. The hiring of the actual person almost seems incidental. It seems almost accidental, which is a horrible way to kind of go through life. So ultimately, what we're talking about is destroying any sense of a funnel. Because a funnel effectively dictates, hey, fill the top, fill the top, fill the top, get as many applicants as we can. Get as, yeah, okay, qualify them a little bit, but just get as many as we can. And that's why you have to filter through hundreds of resumes to find someone worth talking to. And frankly, as you do that, you make it very hard for someone even to tell you what makes them a good candidate because your resume is full, or I'm sorry, your job posting is full of bull. It's full of glossy, candy-coated, rose-colored bullshit. And they're like, oh, yeah, I love candy-coated bullshit. Let's do that. And consequently, they tell you nothing but candy-coated bullshit. The more you're honest, the more they're honest, the more that creates the perfect match, the more you can reject the concept of how do I get as many resumes as possible. So to look back, what does employer brand want? Well, first, it wants a message designed for one perfect person. Let me say that one more time. It wants a message designed for that one person, perfect person. Not here, you made a message and you threw it out and one person went, oh, that sounds like me. No, 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 that's, that's, that's accidental. I mean going, what is a perfect person for this role? What do they care about? What does a what does a killer product manager care about? What drives them? What is it that you offer that makes them go, this is the best place I would ever want to work? Think about that person. Not about that persona, but about that person. And write a job posting and a message and an outreach designed for them. Hey, we need someone who's recently been through an IPO. We need someone who's recently released a large-scale commercial product. We need someone who's done this thing, and you've done that thing, and we think you've learned A and B and C because of that process, and that's the kind of expertise and skill we're looking for. And in return, we offer this and this and this. Holy crap, that's an interesting job posting, and not what you're doing. Employer brand also wants a process that's collaborative, not confrontational. Right, that modern process of the you know the candy-colored bullshit resume and the candy-colored bullshit job posting, trying to figure out who's lying. And yes, the answer is you're both lying. Let's be fair. That's confrontational. That's accusatory. It's the and and whether it's you know done with a big smile and politely, it's still accusatory. It's still not believing that in your last job you actually launched that product or that you spoke Spanish or that you you know you ran track in high school or whatever it is. Right, you're looking. You're trying to find ways of poking holes in that job posting. 
or in that resume. That's confrontational because that sucks because at the end of that confrontational, we decide we're all friends or worse, family. <laughs> That's a whole other podcast, right? Um, and we move from confrontational to collaborative. We say, oh, welcome to the family. Welcome to the job. Big hug. We're all best friends. We're all going to work as a team now. <laughs> oh, really? Because that process kind of burnt me and I don't trust you very much. And you effectively accuse me as, of being a liar. And yeah, I'm going to give you my all now. How does that work? How do we expect that to work? Employer brain wants a to focus on the process of marriage, not on the process of dating. Again, that seems obvious. And yet somehow I look at your processes and all I see is Tinder match after Tinder match, not how do I build a relationship with someone I'm going to spend the rest of my life with? I mean, ultimately, the perfect hire is someone who never leaves your company, who is so good, whose career path matches your needs exactly such that they don't have to look for a job every 12, 24, 36, 50 months. They're locked in. They are married to this company. They can see the long-term value and growth. That doesn't happen by accident. That doesn't happen by swiping on profiles. It doesn't happen by going on 50 dates a, a week. It happens when you know what you want, you communicate what you want, what you're willing to spend, what you're willing to pay for, what you're willing to object to, you know, what you object to and what you don't object to, and the candidate saying exactly the same in return. That's a marriage. We need to think long-term, not butts and seats. We need to say, what is this hire going to be? Who is, it's not about once the, you put the button in the seat, the recruiter gets to check the box, say, I hired one and go on to the next 20. Well, let's be fair, it's probably closer to 30 or 40. Um, that's not useful. It's not about jamming a candidate through a process. It's about finding a way to create that long-term process. It is about marriage, not dating. Because ultimately, and this is crucial, and I feel like this should be the poster that should hang up in every TA team's, you know, circle, bullpen, whatever you want to call it. This is the sign. Employer brand and talent acquisition exist to support the business, not talent acquisition. If you're not hiring people who drive the business, who grow the business, who support the business, not just are easy for you to hire, then you're, you're optimizing around the wrong thing. You're just trying to make a, a talent acquisition easier, not trying to hire better people, not trying to grow the company. And the more I see these things, the more I, I and having just been through a job hunt myself, I know that these aren't things that happened five years ago. These are happening now in your company, on your recs. These are happening now. I am forced to the conclusion that ultimately what employer brand wants is to destroy recruiting as we know it. To take all the craziness, the stupidity, the, the, the wrongheadedness, the bad ideas that calcified into just standard best practices and say, whoa, 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 whoa. What are we really trying to do here? Are we just trying to hire people faster? Or are we trying to hire amazing people? And those two things aren't the same. And you can't just assume, well, the hiring manager will, will pick only good people. Yeah. Some days hire managers just pick the best, the person, the best they can get because they need to get a job done. And suddenly you're commodifying the talent. And that means you're only going to find commoditized talent. Not the people who put the blood, sweat, and tears in, not the people who are aligned to your values, not the people who 
do what needs to get done to move to the next big idea. These are people who just do it as a job. And maybe that's okay. And if it is, okay, hey, I okay, what do I know? But if that's not what you think the company is asking you, and by the way, this is actually what the company is asking you to do, whether they say it or not, whether they know to say it or not, this is what the company wants. They want employer branding to say, make recruiting better by killing the things that don't work, by stopping this whole process of trolling for 100 resumes and posting every job on every job board from here to kingdom come and ting but two, and then twice in three different languages just because you can, because it's cheap. That makes you feel like you get more applicants. Yay, good for you. What employer brand wants is to make recruiting better at a fundamental level. Because ultimately, when you start to see hiring differently, when you start to see recruiting differently, you actually help a business see itself differently. Oh, yeah, I said it. Changing how people see recruiting and hiring helps them change how they see the business and where the business can be. Is a business just a big old factory of cogs that spend eight to 10 hours doing the thing they're told to do and going home and complaining about it? Okay, I guess, but that's not where I want to work. And I suspect that that's not where you want to work. And I suspect that's where great talent wants to never, ever, ever, ever work. They want to work in a place where their talent is valued because the talent aligns to what the business is trying to do, the way it tries to do it. It drives and supports the values in the culture. It creates more of the business. That's what we're trying to do here, right? All right. That is what employer brand wants. Employer brands wants to make companies better by reinventing, even if it's destructive reinvention, it's useful reinventing what it means to hire, not to recruit, but to hire great people, which means it is it is recruiters and sourcers, but it's also hiring managers and leadership in every aspect of the business. Is a These are all audiences that you must influence to say, there are better ways. And some days you're gonna have to pick up that tool and do it yourself. And some days you can build strategies and you can do the fun stuff or just be play politics. It's up to you. I don't know what you think is fun. I know what I think is fun, but it's not, you know, the tactics every day. But some days they are because some days that's what's required. What employer brand wants is to reinvent recruiting. And if you wake up and go to your job and think, how do I reinvent recruiting to be not 5% better, not 10% better, but 10 times better? That means reinvention. That means destroying and recreating while the plane is running to just go ahead and take that metaphor, right? Because, you know, gotta, it feels like like I'm legally obligated to use that metaphor. That's your job, which is why your job is both so hard and so exciting. (laughs) It's why I love this job. I'm here to help recruiting and the business rethink what it means to hire great people to play a role in the values conversation, to play a role in the culture's conversation, to play a role in what does a great hire mean? What does it look like? What do they care about? That's what employer brand wants. And if you disagree, hey, there's plenty to disagree about there. I make some pretty big swings there, I think. Um, Feel free to just ping me. Hey, employerbrandnerd at gmail.com. Come find me. Tweet me, LinkedIn me, whatever you want. You know, I'm around. Anyway, um, that was my podcast. I Wow, I really did miss this. This is so crazy. Thank you all for listening. Thank you all for joining in. Next week, 
roughly, I think, hopefully, uh, you'll get the very first episode of Talent Chooses You as the audiobook, the 2.0, the 3.0, now bigger, better, extra raisins, I don't know. Um, that's what it's going to be, but thank you so much for listening to this one. I've been used, I've been talking about this for a while, so I'm glad I could get it out to, the, to a wider audience, to my audience, the people who get what I'm trying to do. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks to RecruitmentMarketing.com for sponsoring this and for bringing this back. Um, I'll see you in about a week. Bye. best-known investor and Wall Street expert Warren Buffett once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.